Welcome to the SJBC Sunday Morning Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by our senior pastor, Dr. Richard Carver. For more podcasts, videos, and information on our church, please visit mysjbc.org. Good to be back in the pulpit. We are in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Next week, we'll, we'll, we'll still be in Colossians chapter 3. We're preaching through the book of Colossians. Next week, we'll be talking about the Christian home. And I want you to read it in advance. It begins at verse 18 through, and runs through chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, but Paul gives some uh, very sincere instructions about the Christian home. And, and when you read it at first, if you haven't read it recently, it may push you back a little bit uh, because it talks about a wife's obedience and that kind of thing. And so we want to set the record straight. Uh, next week, we'll be in that, in that passage, and I hope you'll read it uh, in advance. Today we're in chapter 3, verse 15, page 955 there in, in your pew Bible. And this passage actually started it, it back in verse 12. And Paul begins by drawing a believer's attention uh, to, the, to our responsibility, like if you think to, back to a couple weeks ago, to put on certain virtues and certain traits. It's our responsibility to embrace them, to exhibit them in our life. And today Paul digs a little deeper and he uh, begins to drill down into our personal conduct, how we live our lives. And a Christian, and he helps us understand that, that our personal conduct uh, can be a barometer for us in helping us understand to know whether we are in God's will or not. And that's an important place to be. It's in God's will. I'd rather be in God's will in the middle of a storm than out of his will on a calm lake because out of his will is a very dangerous place to be. And so he draws our attention to uh, conduct and he ties it to uh, our conduct, how it impacts and influences the peace of God that we have in our heart, in our life. And he helps us understand in this passage that a Christian can know they're doing God's will when they have the peace of Christ uh, in their heart and not only in their heart, but also in the church. And it becomes a barometer, then peace does to how well we are living in God's will individually and corporately as believers. When a believer loses their inner peace, they know that in some way they've begun to disobey God. And the same is true for a church. As a congregation begins to lose its peace, then we know that we've begun to disobey God at some point. And so he helps us learn about God's will and peace in verse 15. Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. No, he says among you, so we know that he's speaking to the congregation as well as the individual. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. In whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The word translated as rule there in in verse 15 is a sporting word. It's an athletic word that means for someone to distribute the prizes. In, the, in Greek games, there were judges that observed the Greek games as the people would participate in 
uh, Olympic style games and these judges would be something like a referee that we had today and at the end of the games they would distribute uh, the prizes that the athletes won but there there were judges who functioned like referees and Uh, they would refuse to allow athletes to participate who were not qualified to participate in the athletic game. So they would would judge the the person's ability. If they didn't have the uh, sufficient ability to participate in this game, then the judge or the referee would refuse that that, uh, athlete's uh, entrance into the games. They would also disqualify athletes who broke rules uh, during the sporting event. So they would kick them out. For us, Paul is letting us know that God's peace is the referee for our life. The peace of God in our believing hearts and in our uh, believing churches for us becomes the referee to tell us whether we're obeying the rules or breaking the rules, whether we're qualified to participate or not to participate. And what we can learn from this passage is that when we obey God's will, we will have peace within. But when we step out of his will, we lose his peace. And that's true whether we step out of his will accidentally or step out of his will intentionally. I know many of you went to uh, Lindsay's funeral on Friday. We were not able to go, but they did a live stream of the funeral. And the opening of the service was one of Lindsay's prayers. And probably the two most moving times in the funeral were the opening prayer and the closing prayer. Listening to Lindsay ask God to heal her, she didn't want cancer, but also embracing God's will regardless of what the outcome would be. And she prayed a prayer of Job. God, I trust you, and I don't ever want to fail you, even in the midst of this. And she prayed in one of her prayers that, God, I will never abandon you. That's peace, folks. Lindsay was in the middle of a storm that we have no idea about but she had peace even in the midst of that awful storm God's peace is our referee it doesn't matter what we're experiencing it doesn't matter what we're going through in life when we obey God's will we'll have peace within but if we step out of his will that peace almost immediately vacates our heart and also vacates the congregation. Now, we've got to be careful here. Uh, there is a false peace. We can lull ourselves to sleep. We can sear our conscience so much so that we have a false peace. In Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 28, <clears throat> Paul talks about how God turns certain people over to uh, their, the depravity of their minds. He just let them go where their calloused and seared minds would go. And those people were participating in lewd, awful sins, but they had peace about it. And they had a false sense of peace. And so we want to be careful that we not embrace a false peace and allow a false peace to invade our hearts. There's a biblical example of what false peace looks like. Jonah willfully disobeyed God. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel to the Ninevites or to preach repentance to the Ninevites. And Jonah said, well, I'm not going to go because if I go, those people are going to repent and I don't want them to repent. I want them to burn. And so he got in a boat and went the other way. Now, Jonah deliberately disobeyed God and yet he was at peace. And we know that he was at peace because he was able to go in the bottom of a ship during a horrible storm and sleep through the storm. 
he was at peace. So sometimes having peace isn't proof that we're in God's will if we have calloused our hearts, if we have disobeyed to the degree like Jonah. Now we have to pray and surrender to God's will and to seek guidance from the Bible. And the peace of heart alone for us is not always the peace that, that, that comes from God because we're in His will. So we want to be careful and exercise some caution. Something else is involved of which we need to take note in this passage. If you have peace in our hearts, He lets us know that we'll be at peace with one another in the church. Whenever things become disruptive in a church, whenever peace flees a congregation, it's an immediate indicator that people are stepping outside of God's will because we cannot be at peace and at the same time be outside of God's will unless we've calloused our hearts. He says that we are called to one body. And as we are at peace within ourselves and peace as a congregation, when we're in God's will as a congregation, peace will prevail among those members because our relationship in this body and for the Colossian believers in that body of believers it must be one of harmony and peace because we are Christ's body upon this earth. And if we're out of God's will, we're certain to bring discord and disharmony to the church. Just like Jonah, he thought he was at peace when actually his sins were creating a storm. And the same can happen in the life of a congregation. Sin will create storm and storms in the life of a congregation. And if we begin to see disruptions and disunity, disharmony, Within the life of a congregation, we need to ask the question, are we out of God's will? And most certainly, we will be. When a Christian loses God's peace, they begin to go off in directions that are out of God's will. And they turn to things of the world and of the flesh, and, and we try to compensate for our lack of peace within. We try to escape, but we cannot escape ourselves. If we would only confess our sin, claim God's forgiveness for our sins, and do God's will, it's then that we will begin to experience individually and corporately God's peace within. Because when there's peace in the heart, Paul says there will be praise on the lips. At verse 15, he says, and be thankful. It's real easy to praise God when we're at peace. We saw that in Lindsay's life. She praised God all the time, even though she was at a, bound in a war. She was still at peace. When we get out of God's will, it's impossible to give sincere praise to God because when we're outside of God's will, it distracts us and it causes us to have the inability to praise. When we cover up our sins, we lose peace and we lose praise. But when we confess our sins, then the song can return to our heart and to our mind. So in verse 16, Paul tells us to let the message of Christ have run in our lives. To let the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ have free reign in our life, in every part of our living. The message of Christ is found in the Bible. And he says that in this passage that we are to give our Lord plenty of room in our lives. And the word gives us life, it sustains us, it strengthens us. But that'll never happen if we're outside of God's will. Because when we're outside of God's will, we don't feel like praising. When we don't feel like praising God, because of the sin that we've accumulated, we've, we've lost our peace, we begin to turn away from God. But in truth, the Word will transform our lives. But it happens only as we grant God permission to work in our life. 
Paul said, let, let the message of Christ in this verse, to allow it, to give it permission, to let it have free reign. If we would only permit the word of Christ to live in us, to dwell in us, to feel at home in us. If we have experienced Christ's grace and peace, then the word of God is going to feel at home in our hearts. And we'll discover how rich the word is with spiritual treasures and how it can give value to our lives because we're living close to God. However, we mustn't think that Paul wrote this only to individual Christians. Remember, this is a letter to the church. It's written to the entire church body. And that informs us as a body of believers at South Jefferson Baptist Church that how we are to evaluate the peace and harmony in our own lives and how we as a congregation, just like the church at Colossae, should be spending time together in the Word of God. We also should be spending time together in the Word of God. And as the Word of Christ dwells richly in each member of the church, it will dwell richly in our church fellowship. And that's what we want. Not just in our church, but in sister churches all around the world. For the, 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 the Word of Christ to dwell richly in that fellowship. Now there is a danger today. And just as there was in Paul's day, that lo the local church might minimize God's Word. And we see this in pulpits and on television shows everywhere. There's uh, just a lack of simple Bible teaching from pulpits and Sunday school classes and Bible study groups. Just basic tenets of the Word of God. There seems to be far more interest in movies and entertainment and what we can get from the church rather than investing ourselves and availing ourselves to the study of God's Word. Now it's crazy, but there are many saved people out there who honestly cannot say that the Word of God dwells richly in them. There are Christians out there, and I've met them, maybe some in this room, that never open their Bible except on a Sunday. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's awful. In many ways, it's probably disobedience. I mean, how can, it, how, how can we have peace when we don't take time to read and study and memorize God's Word? How can we have it in our heart? When we don't open it. So there's a relationship between our Bible knowledge and our expression of worship through song. Paul makes a connection here. Early in our ministry together, I asked Jacqueline that, that she take our worship services and make sure that they are theologically confessional. That our, what we sing confesses our theology. And that everything that we sing should be Christ-centered. And I'm grateful that, that Jacqueline embraced that. And she makes sure that whatever we sing, whatever we see on the screen, is theologically confessional. Now, we are a theologically conservative church, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that we teach the Word of God in Sunday school classes. We've got some fantastic Sunday school teachers. I'm grateful that we teach in our small groups that, that Logan leads. I'm grateful that Jacqueline teaches us the Word of God every time we come together in this room to worship corporately. I'm grateful for that, but I'm going to tell you, that doesn't happen in all churches. They're more concerned about entertainment and drawing a crowd than they are about magnifying the Word of Christ, the, the name of Christ. That's because 
the way that, that we teach and encourage ourselves in others for us in this room is the way that we sing about God and the way that we sing God's word. And I'm grateful that what we sing confesses our faith. And I'm grateful that what we sing proclaims the name of Jesus Christ and his shed blood upon the cross. But if we don't know the Bible, if we don't understand the Bible, we cannot honestly sing it from our hearts. So Paul says we've got to be spending time in the word of Christ so that it can dwell richly in us and so that we can express God's word through our singing, through our worship corporately. Now Paul described what a local church service ought to look like in 1 Corinthians. Paul says that, what shall we say in 1 Corinthians 14? He says, what shall we say then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, or whenever you come together, each of you has a hymn. Now, we know what hymns are. Hymns are songs that glorify God, that encourage the heart in our walk with the Lord. So they're singing. There's a word of instruction where they would expound the word of God, just like we're doing today, so that we can learn it and apply it to our own lives, individually and corporately. He says, a revelation that's exposing something new that you haven't seen before or a special word from God that no one else has heard. A tongue, and we know what that is, speaking in tongues, or an interpretation. He said, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Everything must be done in a theologically confessional way that brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ. But we do that through songs, through preaching, through singing. Everything that we do on Sunday morning is intended to bring glory to God and to encourage us as believers. Now, believers sing to themselves as well as we sing to God. I can hear you singing. And when I hear you singing, your voice encourages me. Sometimes when we're in here, don't do it all at once, but sometimes when we're singing a song, one of those favorites that we like, like How Great Thou Art or In Christ Alone, those, one of those ones that we really belt out, stop singing for just a moment and listen to the voices around you. Now that'll encourage you. It encourages us to hear other believers sing, as well as brings honor and glory to the Lord. It's good that we sing, but our singing must be from our hearts and not just our lips. This is what we sing from. But if the word of God is not in our hearts, then we're not going to be able to sing from our hearts. And if we haven't been spending time in the word of God and studying scripture, it's never going to flow from our heart. It will only always flow from our lips. But we want to sing from our heart. In order to do that, we've got to spend time in God's word. That's why it's so important to know God's word. Looking at verse 17, as Christians, Paul tells us that we wear the name of Jesus Christ. You wear it every day, wherever you go. Now, it's odd, but the word Christian is found only three times in the entire New Testament. Of course, it's not found at all in the Old Testament, but it's found only three times in Scripture. You would think that the word Christian would be found more often in the Bible because that's what we are. Well, the reason the word Christian is not found very often in the New Testament is because the word Christian was actually a derogatory term to begin with. When people identified someone as a Christian, that was not a badge of honor. They were actually talking down to you. They were ridiculing you by calling you a Christian. But gradually, over time, the name Christian became a name of honor. And we're 
proud to carry that name. The name of Christ, then, for us, is a form of identification that we belong to Jesus Christ. But his name also means authority. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we have authority to pray. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that, that we have the authority to minister. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we have the authority to sing our praises to the King of kings and Lord of lords. The name of Jesus Christ makes that possible because Jesus is God. And he's died for us. And since he's died for us and we're his, we have authority in his name to worship him and to carry his name. Now, every parent tries to teach their children to honor the family name. And that's what Paul's trying to do here. I can remember my parents saying to me, especially my dad, you're a carver. And whenever we would travel with him on his business trips, he would remind me, you're a carver. I was talking to uh, Alex is getting his wisdom teeth out this week. He asked us to pray for him. When I got my wisdom teeth out, it happened to be the same day that my dad had a meeting. And I don't remember what the meeting was about, but I was 17. And dad told me, he said, now when we get there, you're going to have to eat. And I had stitches in my mouth. And he took us to wherever the, the meeting was at a Sizzler restaurant. They're not, they don't exist anymore. But I had to eat a steak dinner with stitches in my mouth because I'm a carver. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> but that's how important a name is. In the name of Christ or Christian is dramatically more important and more revered than the last names that we carry today. Jesus died for us. In just a few minutes, a person can disgrace their family name that has taken their ancestors years to build. And all that we say and all that we do should be associated with the name of Jesus Christ. Our words and our works, everything that we say and do, Paul says, should glorify his name. Now, if we allow anything in our lives that cannot be associated with the name of Jesus, then, then we're sinning, just plain and simple. We must do and say everything on the authority of his name and for the honor of his name that we carry. Now, see, bearing the name of Jesus is a great privilege. All of us have that privilege. But it's also a tremendous responsibility to carry the name Christian. Now, we suffer persecution. Christians do around the world because we bear his name. I mean, have you ever noticed how in, in a conversation you might tell someone that you're a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or even an atheist and you get very little emotional response from someone if you share those titles? But if you tell someone you're a Christian, it changes almost immediately. We see it in our politicians. For a politician to say, I'm Catholic, or even Muslim today, or if I'm Presbyterian or Anglican, nobody makes a response. But if a person, particularly in politics, says, I'm a Christian, things change. They become a target. So do we. Whenever we bring Christ into the conversation, it almost always turns negative when people find out that we're a Christian. Paul's final instruction is that whatever we do in Christ's name, it ought to be joined and combined with thanksgiving. What he's saying is if we can't give thanks, then we probably shouldn't do it. If we can't give thanks, then we probably shouldn't say it. 
if we can't give thanks, then we probably shouldn't go there. He's saying that everything we do needs to be associated with thanks. Now, Paul is saying this as a Roman prisoner. He's writing this letter as a prisoner, telling us to give thanks. And that makes his emphasis on thanksgiving that much more profound and that much more wonderful because he was in prison writing this letter telling us to join everything with thanks. And we're united with Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have all the resources that we need for holy living. But we must be spiritually motivated to do that holy living. That's why he tells us in verse 12 to, that it's our responsibility to put on these certain virtues. That's why he's telling us in this passage that it's our responsibility to allow Christ to have free reign in our life. We have to give him, literally grant him permission to have free reign and free roam in our life. And it's important that we do that. Because we've experienced the grace of Christ, we want to live for him. Because we've enjoyed the peace of Christ, we want to obey him. Now we've been enriched by the word of Christ. And we've been made holy because of Christ. So Paul is, is telling us that, that we ought to therefore honor and glorify Christ through all of our living. Because we carry his name. And I don't know of any greater motivation for living in God's will and allowing his peace to flow through our life and to worship in a way that brings glory than to understand that we carry the name of Christ and He is our all. We're going to sing hymn of invitation as Jacqueline comes. If you find yourself in a, a place today where you don't have peace, where you can't worship, I implore you to evaluate your life and ask the question, are you in God's will? Because if we're not in God's will, we'll not have peace. We can't worship. 